Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. Fine. It's, uh, it's an honour to, to give this uh, lecture as a, a really a, a tribute to Professor Almond, Daryl Almond, uh, and what he's done for the university. And it's lovely to see Lenny, daughter here as well, and also colleagues and friends uh, of uh, Daryl. So, so I'm going to try and give a, a flavour, because there's lots that he's done for the university, of what he's done in terms of research and sort of legacy and how he's uh, sort of impacted on people and research groups. Uh, and I've been told I've got to keep it, try and keep it non-technical. There's, there's a bit of technical bit and uh, at the start you might have to concentrate and then it's opening up. So I've mixed and matched, so I have made a, uh, an effort. So Daryl uh, is a PhD from Lancaster and he came to Bath uh, as a lecturer in 76 and he had his uh, chair in 19. 96, and he was director of the Materials Research uh, Centre at the university. His handouts uh, there, Nick. Yeah, it's fine. It's just late. late. Uh, so, uh, so this is just a, an, a previous image from 1979. So, uh, there's Martin Ansel here. Martin, can you put your hand up. Yeah, Martin. Uh, there's there's Daryl there with a lovely jumper. Uh, <laughs> Brian Harris is here as well. Do you want to put, raise your hand? Yeah, Professor, head of department. Uh, and then there's a, another character, this, this is an important character, you'll see later on, very important, Nick, Nick Gathercole. Hand up, Nick, where are you? Yeah, round, round there. And then there's other faces, if you know Angela Harrington, Brian McEnany, David Packham uh, as well. And uh, really, uh, Professor Almond was a, a true scholar, very impressive track record, and that's what I hope to uh, give a flavour of uh, during the, the lecture. So this year is, is year against citations. This is how many times other people have mentioned his work. Uh, and you can see he's very active. So 600 plus citations per year. So 600 other papers are mentioning Daryl's work and that, that still, still continues. Uh, and just out of interest, uh, we, we get obsessed with all these parameters as academics. This is the H index. Uh, here it's 50. What it means is he has at least 50 papers with 50 citations, yeah? So 50 people have mentioned each of those 50 papers. And just out of interest, at the back, there's a list of those top 50 papers in terms of uh, citations. So it's a pretty, uh, if, I, if I get somewhere close to that, uh, I'll have, think I've done well. And uh, I won't go through all the areas, because it's uh, uh, immense, over 200 publications. And really, I hope to give a flavor of a bit of everything uh, he's really quite famous for the Almond West formula. That's one of the, the key aspects in terms of citations. And on that list, it's, the, it's up there at the top. So I'll give a flavor of that. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to work with him on AC conductivity of electrical networks. And that links here to these emergent properties uh, with Chris Budd in maths, Charles Hunt in MechEng, and uh, Nick McCullen, uh, who's now in civil engineering, Dr. Aki Salo. Hands up, Dr. Sallow. That's yeah, it. Beach casting, done some work there. And even cricket uh, ball swing. I know nothing about cricket. And that's partially why I'm very nervous, because I'm going to have to talk about cricket uh, for a little bit. And so I'm going to try my, my best. Uh, and I'll give a flavour of each of the, of the things. So this is the, the slightly technical bit, but bear with me. So if we look at the conductivity, so the electrical conductivity of a material and we do that as a function of frequency, it's very common to see this sort of behavior on a log, log plot. It looks like this, yeah? I see it everywhere now after working with Daryl. 
what this is here, it's frequency independent, so it doesn't change with frequency. And up here at these higher frequencies, it's frequency dependent, yeah? Pretty straightforward. And this is the formula. And the main thing is, it's this DC, so the conductivity as a function of frequency is some DC component that's independent of frequency and some component that is proportional to frequency to the power n. So this slope is some number, naught to one. And you see that in lots of places. And this is the, the permittivity. So you've heard of capacitors. So this is the ability to store charge in a way, so the permittivity of the material. If you plot that, you get exactly the opposite. Frequency independent here, and then it falls with frequency. And that slope is n, that slope is n minus one. And you see that everywhere. It's called a, a Johnsch's universal dielectric response. Universal, so it's ubiquitous. And you see this everywhere. I won't bore you endless, I, I collect them. It's my hobby. Uh, this is a polymer against different temperatures, and you can see this DC component goes up with temperature. So this is hot, this is cold. At higher frequencies, it's frequency dependent. This is a crystal, a single crystal material, again with, with temperature, and you can see frequency independent, frequency dependent here. Ionic conductor, do, they do a lot of that in uh, uh, chemistry. Concrete, yeah, so this is the permittivity falling, wet concrete does the same thing. So this is just really at different uh, humidities. I don't, I'm not going to go on for 45 minutes showing these curves. Don't worry, it's going to change. This is composites. There's a lot of work on graphene is the big thing. Carbon nanotubes. So the carbon nanotubes is just a conductor. And you add that to a polymer. So a polymer behaves like this, frequency dependent. And as you add a conductor, uh, a carbon nanotube, for example, uh, you get a, a change in this DC bit. But again, the same pattern uh, being seen everywhere for these different uh, materials. So I've done some work uh, with uh, uh, Begonia and uh, uh, Richard Guy in uh, pharmacy. This is nail, human nail. Uh, and again, the same response. So this is drying out. Uh, and so, uh, no, this is, this is getting wet. So 15 hours, it's all frequency independent. And as it uh, dries out, uh, you get a, a DC component. And same with the per. So it's everywhere. It's very strange. And if you see it everywhere, uh, Daryl used to talk about Occam's razor. The reason for it must be quite simple. There are lots of complex reasons for this. But actually, the fact that it's so ubiquitous, there must be a common reason. Uh, and when Daryl joined at Bath, uh, he did a lot of work uh, on uh, these sorts of responses in uh, materials, conductors. And you can see, you can see why he's interested in this. His sodium beta alumina, so those were so sodium sulfur batteries were all the rage at that time, early electric vehicles, 1983. So again, you see this uh, behavior. And uh, Daryl and uh, Tony West developed this uh, Almond West formula to predict this response. So basically, the conductivity as a function of frequency, which is this bit, is some DC component, which is this flat response, plus some frequency dependent component. And they said this was related to hopping of ions. So as you increase the frequency against a critical frequency, you get more hopping of ions, back and forth, back and forth. And that's why you get this frequency dependence. And that's very highly cited and still used today. Uh, but Credit to Daryl, that was what, one of the things he's really famous for, but he's, he's not afraid to say, actually, 
that might not be right. Not that it's totally wrong. There may be a better way that can explain the ubiquity, why we see it in concrete, for example. Uh, and they were working on uh, these materials with uh, Ron Stevens uh, in, uh, uh, in Bath. And this was at Illumina Titania. And the uh, Titania, TiO2, it's in most of that uh, makeup and sun sunscreen, is a conductor. And uh, the Illumina, aluminium oxide, it's, a, it's an electrical insulator. So it's in your spark plug, for example. So, it's a, so you've got a, a conductor and an insulator. And you look at this response again, this uh, universal response. And uh, if you imagine it like this, and then you put conductors where there's white and capacitors where it's uh, a grey, uh, you say, well, why not just treat the material as a big electrical network of resistors and capacitors? Let's just model it as that. And just, just, let's just have a look and see, see what happens to uh, the material. So this is a, a simulation of a, a resistor-capacitor network. So uh, it's 2D, so it's a bit like a checkerboard. So imagine a chessboard, 500 resistors and capacitors. 60% uh, of them are resistors, so the majority are resistors, and 40% are capacitors of a certain value. Yeah? So a bit like a, a chessboard, but there's more of uh, the black squares than the uh, yellow squares. Uh, yellow? Sorry, white. Uh, and if you do that, and you, you simulate that in a piece of software, very easy this day, you see something strikingly similar. So this is the conductivity against frequency. So here you have a, a frequency-independent region. So there the, the electrical currents are going through the resistors, and that's the, the majority. Uh, but here it becomes frequency-dependent. It starts going up. So you see these power law uh, effects, this universal dielectric response. And the capacitance does exactly the same. So that falls. And if you measure that gradient, it's uh, n minus 1. It's minus 0.6. And the really strange thing is that there's 40% capacitors. And that slope, when you measure the gradient, is 0.4. It's almost the same as the, the fraction of the capacitors. And similarly, uh, if uh, that's n minus 1, it's 0.4 minus 1, minus 0.6. Strange. Uh, very strange. And uh, so you run lots of simulations, so lots of chess boards, 60% resistors, 40% capacitors, and you test one, another random lots. The mathematicians got all excited, so random mixtures. Is that right, Chris? Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, random mixtures. Sorry. Just being theatrical. So, yes, so random is you run lots of them and you see uh, you get lots of variation here at low frequencies, lots of variation at high frequencies, but it's, in, it's this intermediate uh, region, uh, they all converge. All those mixtures, they have the same 60, 40 mix, but they're all in different arrays, but they all have similar responses in this frequency range. So, it's, so we're talking about emergence, emergent properties. And this is where uh, we have the link to mathematicians, for example. And if you change the capacitor fraction, so here was our 60-40, pretty good fit, 0.399, close to that. 50-50, that's classic checkerboard. Again, pretty close to the uh, fraction of capacitors. 40-60, so the majority in our capacitors, majority of the white squares. 0.59. Amazing. Yeah, so that curve 
is changing with the, the composition of the network. But they all emerge, emerge, emerging together in terms of behaviour in a certain frequency range. And the, the same happens with the frequency, with the permittivity. So why does that happen? Well, you have to look at the individual components. So there's resistors of a certain value, capacitors of a certain value. So if we think of the individual components, so this is the conductivity against the frequency. So uh, the conductivity of a resistor is just 1 over R. Yeah, so it's just 1 over R. It's frequency independent. So it's flat as a, a pancake with frequency. So that stays the same. Uh, the AC conductivity of a capacitor is proportional to frequency. So it's omega C. So it's 0 at 0 frequency, and it rises uh, with frequency. So that's frequency dependent. So down here, this is more conductive. So in my network, the currents will rather go through the resistors. Up here, very high frequencies. The capacitors are more conductive. So the, the currents will go through my capacitors. And around here, they're about the same. So AC currents will, doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter if it's a capacitor. Doesn't matter if it's a resistor. It'll go through both components. And so that's the sort of sweet point of where you get this behavior where currents are going through both components. And that's why it doesn't matter about the configuration, because the order, the way you arrange it, doesn't matter if the current of the conductivities are the same. Down here, the order matters, so that'll vary. Up here, the order matters. Here, it doesn't matter, and that's why you get this emergent behavior. Uh, and just to do that, uh, I did a, a thermal model uh, I, was, I, I used to do AMSYS, I couldn't do it now, it's too complicated now. Not that I got too old for it. So this is a, a model of conductivity against, uh, a, bit like free, a bit like frequency. So I'm keeping one constant, so I'm keeping the blue constant in terms of conductivity, and I'm sweeping the purple from small values up to high values. So when it's lower than the blue to up when it's higher than the blue, yeah? So what down here, when it's... Uh, Purple is small, while the current likes to go through the blue. So this is blue here, so it's uh, the heat on this table, or electric, uh, AC currents is going through here. This region is a lot of blue, so you can see here, here it's starting to track through. If I start to make uh, the purple more conductive, well, it starts, well, actually, uh, that path's a bit useful. Uh, that's a least resistant path. I'll start flowing through there. And at the extreme, where they're both the same, the heat is flowing and the current or the current is flowing through both components. So the order doesn't matter. But the main thing is that this region is actually pretty wide, two, three orders of magnitude. So there's quite a large range of differences where you get this emergent behavior. Look, this is 50-50, and you measure that slope, 0.5. Oh, so, and, that, and here I'm just going through the other side. So at this extreme, just go back here. At this extreme, the, the purple is high, so now it'll start tracking through uh, the purple path. And uh, the reason for that, the reason for that is just following a very simple mixing law. So there's a bit of maths here, but this is about that, the limit of it. So it's a, a fun the network is a function of the capacitor conductivity, the resistor conductivity. So the network depends on the capacitor. 
and to the power n. So, so it's capacitor to the power n, where n is the, the fraction. So really, it's following this very simple mixing law. And if we take out the conductivity from that, we, the main point is that the conductivity becomes frequency dependent, and it becomes proportional to omega to the power n. And then there's the fraction of the capacitors. So really, that's where all that's happening within many of these materials. It's really an emergent property of the resistor-capacitor network. And that's all very nice. That's the capacitance falling, and that, that comes out as well from that mixing up. That's all very nice. Uh, Badal's a material scientist. He wants to apply this to materials. So rather than uh, capacitors and resistors, we convert that to uh, permittivity. So that's a measure of the, the polarization of the material. And we convert that to the conductivity of the material. Again, that's really for a real material system now where we mix a, a conductor and an insulator, yeah? And how we go with conference, it's simple, yeah? You've been measuring all this for years and claiming all very complex mechanisms, stretched exponentials, distributions of relaxation times. All that's happening is it's just a mixture of resistors and capacitors. I say, no, can't be true. I've published 300 papers in saying that. Can't be right. So we have to prove people wrong. We have to do some experiments uh, and luckily enough, I was uh, a, a young lecturer then. Yeah, I was young once. Uh, so this is a, I was working on porous ceramics. So these were uh, sonar materials. Uh, I was working uh, for the Defense uh, Evaluation and Research Agency. They were porous, basically ceramics with holes in them. And the ceramic is like a capacitor. So this is the PZT ceramic. It's 22% uh, porous, so 22% of the volume is air and I was doing that for certain reasons. And that's the insulator, so that's the capacitor fraction. So what I needed to do to do a resistor-capacitor network was to fill it with a conductor. We thought of all very complex regions, oh, maybe a, a conductive polymer. Maybe we'll try impregnating it with silicon carbide and growing it and filling it up. Uh, and then Daryl came up with a very simple answer. You just fill, the, fill it with water, Chris. Yeah, just put some water in the pores and you've got a, a resistor-capacitor network. We all know we shouldn't have electricity in the bath, and that's because it's a, a conductor. So there's my conductor. I fill my ceramic up with water, and I've got a conductor-resistor network, an RC. I can compare that with Darrell's model. And uh, my pitta kit, well, I need to have the same conductivities. Remember, my omega C needs to be the same as 1 over R. And the, the beautiful thing about this is it happens less than one megahertz. Uh, my bit of kit doesn't go above a megahertz, and so this makes it very easy to do. So these, the, the AC current should go through both of these phases uh, just under a megahertz. So does it work? You know it's going to work because you've read ahead, haven't you? So does it work? So let's look at the individual components. So this is the, my water. So it's water on its own. So it's beautiful because you can just test each individual component. This is water on its own as a function of frequency 1 over R. Yeah? It's just like a resistor. This is my permittivity, my capacitance of the ceramic. It's just a capacitor. It's a constant capacitance. And so my uh, capacitance is frequency independent. So there's my capacitor, my omega C. Here's my resistor. Now we mix them up and we do that same test. 
we see the universal dielectric response. The individual components are frequency independent. You mix them together, you get the universal dielectric response. And that's because at low frequencies, 1 over R dominates, my current goes through the water, little holes in the ceramic. Oh, this is a bit easier. I increase the frequency, omega C of my ceramic begins to go up, and I actually say, oh, actually, I'll start my AC currents will go through the water, and I get a, 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 a power law behavior. We get down to equations, and we put in my value. I know that because I measured that independently. I know the conductivity of water. I measured that independently. I know my fraction of capacitors is 0.78, because 22% is air, which is the water content, and 78% is ceramic. So I know exactly that. And that is beautiful. And as Daryl would say, no adjustable parameters, yeah? No fiddles, measuring the individual components, mixing it together, beautiful. And we do that to the DC components. So here the currents go through the water. At higher frequencies, it starts to go through both. And again, beautiful fit uh, to that. So really, a lot of this universal direct response is just that most materials are resistors and capacitors. That nail you saw, it's, uh, I think it's, what is it, gelatin, keratin. So it's keratin, so that's the capacitor. And it's a bit wet and it's a bit porous. It's got humidity in it. That's the conductor. And that's why you see that response. And uh, as a young lecturer, I uh, published that in, with Daryl in Physical Review Letters. That's a really top journal. So that's really, really one of my proudest moments. And it's very simple. I've got a simple brain. And it's a way of analyzing materials. And we've used that for uh, lead halide materials. So all the rage now is solar cells and lead halide perovskites, because they have efficiencies similar to silicon. And they think there's a bit more way to go. And there were some papers claiming that there was giant permittivity in these materials because of some strange effect due to uh, a photo-induced effect. But actually, it's just your inducing uh, currents, your photoconductivity in the material. So really, we just use the RC networks. They want to get in more resistors, and the permittivity will go up. Uh, with that, Chris Budd uh, and Nick McCullen was here today. Nick, hand up, Nick. Yeah, Chris, Chris, uh, Giles, yeah. Yeah, Giles, sorry, I'm trying to name everyone. That's it, Nick. So, so we pu published on uh, a large RC networks. And uh, James Roscoe, Roscoe's here as well. James, he's gone. No, he's there, there he is. So we used that to uh, 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 explain giant permittivity for capacitor materials. Again, we, we don't think uh, adding resistors and capacitors is a way. Because you, you saw the, the, the current percolate through one sort of region. And uh, what will happen is you, you'll get breakdown in the material. And Nick McCullen is now a, a lecturer. So he was a postdoctoral researcher with Darrell. And that was on a, a major grant uh, with uh, maths, biology. Uh, can, you, can you name the date? Uh, uh, and Darrell was a theme leader on emergent properties. Uh, and Nick was on that. And now he's a, a lecturer at the, the university. Uh, and uh, Giles has done that on uh, mechanical systems as well. I'm just going to do that, Giles. That's enough. Yeah, that's fine. Good. Uh, uh, so, uh, so Daryl's more than that. That's what uh, it, uh, I think Daryl would want me to present that. So, sorry, it's a bit technical. But I think it's uh, good fun, a really quite uh, high-level science. 
So moving away from high-level science to uh, 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 doing some training. So we started a sports engineering degree early in 2000, uh, and we thought we'd get fit. I've never been fit, yeah. So uh, I got to puberty, and I've never been the same. So uh, there's Martin and Daryl. They they were they were very fit. Uh, they were talking while they were running. I don't know how you can do that. Uh, and so that's a grimace, yeah. So that's a grimace. And I look a little bit different. But it's just been a, a hard semester, yeah. So so uh, so 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 we had a sports engineering degree, and Daryl uses physics uh, in uh, research related to sports engineering. So this is a, a lovely paper on uh, fluid dynamics of re reverse cricket, cricket spin. So this is Gary Locke, who's the head of uh, department in MechEng now. And really, uh, Daryl was a keen cricket fan. I'm suddenly getting nervous now. You see, I know nothing about cricket. Uh, but I'll try my best. So looking at uh, reverse swing, uh, and basically they've done a series of, of wind tunnel tests. Uh, the seam is at 15 degrees here, trying to understand why you get conventional swing and why you get reverse swing. So when you have no swing, uh, so for example, so here's, what we're doing here is looking down on the ball, and the seam is at 15 degrees, so this is sort of a, an optimum angle for, for bowlers. So the airflow is here. And what will happen is you'll get a, a laminar flow around the ball here, and then it'll, 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 you'll get more sort of uh, 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 non-laminar flow, turbulent flow. Uh, at a certain separation angle. And uh, if you're not getting any swing, it means that your uh, angles here are about the same. So 80 degrees, so your wake is symmetrical, so it won't swing. Yeah? So uh, early on in the game, I'm talking like I'm an expert now, early on in the game, you can get a uh, conventional swing, which is where, uh, when the ball is shiny, and it's uh, not been tampered with. Is anyone from Australia here today? <laughs> so it's not, not been tampered with. And then late in the bowl, it moves away from the bowler. So that's conventional swing. Uh, so this, these are the, the flow uh, uh, see, uh, see, uh, experiments. So this is conventional swing, where it uh, swings away from the, the bowler uh, early on in the game. So here we have uh, the seam at 15 degrees uh, here. And here, because of the seam, uh, we get this uh, laminar flow uh, behaving going on to a, a larger angle. So this is at 120 degrees, uh, whereas away from the seam, it's a shorter angle, 80 degrees. So the wake becomes asymmetric, and you get a swing in a certain direction, yeah? away from the, the bowler. Ah, yes, and, and Daryl's very keen on th uh, thermal imaging. And this is a very nice uh, ex experiment where uh, they put hot air uh, later on in the, in the air tunnel uh, and wind tunnel, and this red region is really where it's hot. So this is where you get this uh, turbulent flow, and that's actually picked up by the thermal camera, and that's where you can actually read these off from the, the cricket ball in the wind tunnel. Uh, and so this, these are the angles, 120 against 80. So this is conventional swing. Remember this, 80, 120. And when they were able to get, I'll move on to this, when they were able to get reverse swing, uh, so this is typically later on in the game, where the ball is, is rough, and so that's why, that's why sometimes people try to roughen up the ball, not that they do that very often. Uh, so they roughen up the ball, and, and what happens, so remember it was 80, 120, so the, the angle reverses. So now you still get it around uh, uh, 110, 120, so remember the seam is along here, 
So you can see this turbulent separation where it's red because of the heat of the camera. And when this was a, a slightly rougher, you get this little bubble here where you get this uh, sort of isolated bubble. And they, they postulate this is because of roughening and sort of uh, staying around there. But the main separation happens at a larger angle. So the, 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 the asymmetry of the wake is switched. And so you get swing in the reverse direction. It's fine. Uh, Daryl also uh, enjoyed uh, uh, beach casting. Is that right, Lenny? Yeah, was, so this is, uh, these are images of Daryl. These are with Dr. Aki Salo in uh, uh, biomechanics. So this is uh, an analysis of uh, beach casting. So it's a five-year sports engineering project. So I thought I'd show that. Again, it's a lovely paper. It's used the physics to look at the, the predicted uh, casting. And uh, it was a lot less than predicted. And that's because of the, see, I've read the papers. That's because of the, the friction uh, of the, the line. Uh, I've got 15 minutes. Is that right? Till six. Is that right? Oh, it's perfect. It's all going to plan. It's good. So uh, uh, again, an, another area, going back to technical, uh, an area is, is composites materials. So uh, if you've flown on a, a plane, certainly uh, a Dreamliner or a new Airbus, it's likely to have lots of composites uh, in it. Uh, so these are carbon fibers, very stiff, strong carbon fiber, lightweight, because it's low in the periodic table. Carbon uh, is a lightweight uh, uh, element. Uh, but the bonding is very strong, so it's very light, very stiff, very strong. But you can't just fly around on carbon fibers. They all sort of fall apart. So you have an epoxy matrix which bonds them together. And basically, you layer up the carbon fibers in the, the orientation that you want, where you want the, 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 the sort of maximum stiffness. And in most structures, you have a combination of, of loads in different directions. You have to optimize the, the layup, which layers, which yeah, carbon fibers in each direction. So you have a, very often a laminate. Multiple, ooh, multiple layers of CFRP with the carbon fibers in different directions. Some in naught, some in 90, some at minus 45, some at minus plus 45, for example. And a big problem uh, there is a thing called barely visible impact damage, BVID. So you get some impact, get some hailstones hitting your plane. Don't need to worry, it's fine, don't worry. It's, get some hailstones, get stones kicked up from the runway. Uh, with a bit of metal, I mean, certainly on my Skoda, I can see the dents. Uh, I can see where somebody's hit it with a, a trolley or something. But the, with the composite, you can't, because it's uh, dark, and uh, the, the damage is, is a little bit lower down. So you may have an impact, and you may have a, a delamination where the layers have, have, have come apart. So you can't see it visually uh, uh, from the outside. Uh, and this is some very uh, work with uh, Richard Bohr, so he's a final year project student. Uh, and you can see these are the layers of carbon fiber. And this is using thermal imaging uh, to look at those damage. The impact is here. These are the carbon fibers. And you can see, if you're looking outside, it's fine. Yeah, it's all, all right. But actually, you've got damage uh, underneath here. And I've, I've put this in because Richard is now a, a reader in civil engineering. So again, uh, another legacy from uh, doing a degree and uh, working uh, uh, with Daryl at, at Bath. And uh, a, a large piece of work uh, was with uh, Brian Harris on uh, non-destructive testing. So how do you examine these materials? And how do you watch these defects grow? And how do you understand how the, the defects grow? So he's very famous in the non-destructive testing uh, area. Uh, and this is a, a lovely machine. It's, uh, it's called acoustography. So this is your composite. 
This is your carbon fiber uh, reinforced plastic, and it's being subjected to a, a compressive, alternating compressive load, and it's got a bit of uh, impact damage in it. And normally, if you're trying to watch that grow as you cycle it, you've got to put it in a test machine and take it out, and do some non-destructive technique, put it back in the machine, test it, take it out, and do it again. It's a bit laborious. And people say, well, aren't you, aren't you damaging it when you're taking it in and out? So really, you want to watch, watch it, monitor it uh, in situ. So this is a test here. Uh, this is the original uh, uh, defect. So basically, you have this in the test machine. So this is cycling up and down. You have a sound source, so it sends out a, 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 an ultrasonic signal, goes through some water to couple it to the ceramic, and you have this acoustic scope. It sounds very technical, but it's just a liquid crystal which gives you an image of the uh, uh, acoustic sound, ultrasound that's gone through. And this is uh, some experiments. So this is the initial damage, then this sort of test, and you can see it growing uh, as you increase this number of cycles, and you can see it's starting to grow here, and it leads to, to failure. Very nice, you can publish a paper on that. But Daryl was always keen to stress that this is the important result. So here, a cert, so this is 160 megapascal sort of compressive peak stress. Uh, this result at 150 megapascal, slightly lower stress. It's a bit boring because you've, you've put the damage in and uh, million cycles later, hasn't grown at all. Not very exciting. But it's important because it means that under this stress level, you can have that damage in your composite and it won't grow. So it's called a fatigue limit. The steels have a fatigue limit. In this case, we can have a fatigue limit here. And uh, that led to uh, work with Giles Hunt again and Richard, Professor Richard, oh, sorry, did I, did I get you in the eye? That's fine, so I was pointing at you with a laser pointer. Sorry, you don't, don't do that. So can you put your hand up, Richard? Yeah, so, so this was uh, work extending on that. So this is a side view on of the delamination. And imagine, so imagine I've got my delamination here, because I've got my impact damage, and I'm now uh, loading it in compression. If you imagine a ruler, have you ever squashed a ruler in compression? I know you don't do it very often, but you can imagine it. So you're squashing a ruler, it'll, it'll buckle. So when this layer is thin enough, and when this load or strain is large enough, it'll buckle out. And so it'll, you see, I can see it in the lab. It's sort of breathing. It's like it's alive. It was quite uncanny. But that buckling uh, is important in that growth response. So there's a certain load that gets that buckling, and that's why you've got a fatigue limit. And that's where Richard has done a lot of work since analyzing that. And if you know the mechanism, if you know why it happens, you can prevent it. So you can put extra layers in. You can put, design this composite to, to avoid buckling. So if you know the reason, uh, you can design against it. And I think Daryl was uh, very good at, at getting equipment and, and, and sharing it, not saying this is mine. He's very, we've got a whole suite of uh, NDE, young lecturers, older lecturers uh, working. So uh, ultrasonic, digital image, correlation, etc. And I, I think Daryl's been a major part for that, but, but it is quiet. Uh, way. So it's been a, a very significant piece of uh, work. Ah, yes. So uh, that was acoustography using ultrasound. Uh, another, but a, we can't really do that with a plane, can you? Say, so where's, where's your plane? It's right. I'm going to dip it in some water and I'm going to take that plane and I'm going to hit it all with uh, ultrasound and I'm going to have this huge detector on the other side. It's not going to work. So uh, I did a lot of work on uh, uh, thermography. For eight minutes, haven't I? 
eight minutes, I'm fine. So, uh, so the basic process uh, involves uh, basically hitting it with heat. So you, 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 that's why I got my hair dryer. I know my hair looks good because I prepared it earlier. So I've got a heater and this is a, a composite panel. And at the back, uh, it's got these here. Uh, so he's here. So these will hold air. So it's a bit like a defect in a way. So these, I don't know what they're called. Stiffness, so stiffness here, but they've they got uh, uh, air in them. So they will hold air if I apply heat. And simply if I've got a delamination, I will, will see it. Let's have a go. So if I heat it up, where there's air pockets behind, it should hold the heat a bit more. Yeah? So we should be able to see it. It's exciting, isn't it? Ah, oh, yes, so, so that's, so there, there when it's hot, well, it's less hot. You can, so you can imagine that process actually being used as a, an external system, and certainly Daryl had projects uh, on that, on, on applying a small bit of heat on the outside and watching the heat flow. Where there's delaminations and where there's defects, you see it's still running now. I haven't put up the image or anything, it's still running. And you can see that, and you can imagine that being a, a practical approach to uh, uh, looking at damaging composites. Oh, moving on slides that aren't there. I've got five minutes, I'm going to make it. So yeah, so that's really that, that demo there uh, in, in practice. But uh, thanks to Simon Pickering for helping me do, do that. Uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, so there's the defect there. But uh, you can apply that to other materials. And Daryl did some work with the University of Windsor. Not, not, not the Queen. Uh, this is in uh, Canada. So this is University of Windsor. And they were using thermography on works of art. And they were doing that to, to really look, looking at damage. Uh, certainly a museum would be very wary of uh, uh, taking a, uh, a hairdryer and uh, applying that over a, a work of art. But the, the heat employed a much lower level uh, and uh, actually much more accurate uh, thermal cameras. But the, the basic principle was the same. And there's a, a nice uh, web uh, uh, page on that and says how it could be helped with forgery and look at, look at images behind. Uh, so yes, this is the basic process. So you get your lamp, your heater, you apply your bit of heat. So again, it's very low level, much lower than what I was doing here. You get your uh, higher sensitivity thermal imager. And I got this out of the, the paper. It says review, but uh, Daryl had uh, 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 results in it, so it's a bit of a mixture. So that was that image there. So that was uh, 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 the, the test. And you can see these delaminations. So it's the same thing. These are stuck onto wooden boards, and they're worried to see is the, the painting peeling off and delaminating. It's the same thing, uh, and it works on uh, uh, priceless pieces of art. So this is uh, the sacrifice on his return to prosperity. Oh, Job offering a sacrifice on his return to prosperity. 1845. I think this is about uh, 2010. Ah, Fitzwilliam uh, Museum, Cambridge. Uh, and just uh, a final uh, couple of slides. So I'm, I'm perfectly on time. Uh, if you look at the list at the back, it's very famous for his Almond West fo uh, book, uh, formula. But this, again, is a key text, so over 700 citations. So again, over 700 people have mentioned this in papers. And Daryl was very proud of that book because he used to mention that. And remember Nick Gathercole, right at the, the start? 
This is uh, Nick's finest moment. So this is a paper with Nick. It's uh, watching paint dry. Yeah, it's, it's a basic same process, but it's the drying of wet paint. I, I, I couldn't get past the abstract, yeah. It, 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 but it was the same process, and it's a very important process because this is with that BA systems, and obviously you want to get the thickness of the paint right, you want to watch it dry, but you also want to get the thickness right. So it has an important aspect, but I did think of Nick uh, when I uh, saw that. Oh, yes, and uh, final one. This is, this is, this was this, I was going to use this to judge the time perfectly. You see how good a lecturer I am. It's amazing, isn't it? So, so got three minutes left. So this is, uh, so you heard about machine learning in the press sort of uh, computer programs. They learn how to play chess and they, they, they beat you. Uh, so level one beats me on a, a normal thing. But, but machine learning, a computer will learn and it will uh, uh, gain, see what's the best move. It will analyze lots of data and start to learn a lot about you. So this is uh, 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 much before that, uh, Daryl. And uh, Brian Harris, ahead of the time, using neural networks to examine fatigue. So there's lots of things going on fatigue, whether it's compressive, tensile, what's the ratio of tensile of compression, what's the frequency, what's the maximum load, what's the minimum load. And they use neural networks to actually uh, start to predict fatigue responses. And actually, it's pretty good and was pretty good to the uh, models that were available then. So again, uh, Ahead, ahead of time there. Again, that's been highly cited. Again, that's, uh, it's somewhere in, uh, at the top in the list. So, yes, yeah, so a final thought. So, hopefully, I've given an impression of Daryl's outstanding uh, track record. Uh, very practical person, so he could do the experiment. So, that's why I wanted to do an experiment uh, today. But, he, but he, he knew his theory. So, he knew to get it right. Uh, and three, and, and if, you don't get, if you don't know your theory, uh, better, better beware. But he, he knew his stuff. And certainly his legacy to Bath is, is certainly his publications. And uh, that's, that's a, a given. But the impact on staff, someone like me, that's why it was a pleasure to present today. And there's, there's, uh, Chris gave some lovely uh, comments. Uh, Richard's the same. So it's a lots of staff. Uh, uh, Michele, Fulvio, Francesco. Yeah, sorry, Francesco. Yeah, lots of staff. Uh, very a legacy, and to, and to do things right, do them at high quality, and know the fundamentals. And sorry if I haven't mentioned everyone, because uh, 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 as well, and, and and the approach to research, and and fun as well. So he's a good, kind man, uh, but he's much more a pleasure to work with, and I certainly enjoyed. And uh, and so uh, that's the end. And if you want to join uh, us in the bar, the first, fir just the first, the first drink is is on me in the lime tree afterwards. Thank you. Oh, sorry, 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 no, 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 don't, don't clap me. Oh, sorry, I want you to clap Daryl. Please, yay!